after that, you know, ended up moving out to San Francisco to go work at First Shannon Dorm Room Fund and really making, I think, one of the greatest changes of my career. Hey, friend, it's David Nabinsky here in Brooklyn. Here at the Portfolio Career Podcast, we help you take ownership of your portfolio career and design the life that you want to live. Today's conversation is with Ray Wong. Ray is the co-founder of The Grand, a community-centered group coaching company that has raised over $2 million in funding, um, a very inspiring story that is uh, and company that is just getting started. If you're interested in becoming a coach, uh, Ray talks about advice for coaches here. We also talk about transitions, how often transitions happen, how they are increasingly happening. So if you're going through a transition, career transition, or a other type of personal transition, this episode is good for you as well. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There, you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which has the best insights from the podcast and front source job opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Ray. Uh, Ray, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, David. Um, so it's a beautiful Friday, and I've been thinking about a lot of like cool things that are happening in the world. And I think one thing that's really cool is like community-focused businesses can actually like scale, and heart-centered, human-centered businesses can actually like be investable and can really grow. And I thought that that might be um, an interesting way to start. I can imagine you're excited about this as you know, previously an investor and now a founder. Um, just would be curious to hear your kind of thoughts on that uh, like topic of you know this kind of category and the type of company that you've been building? Yeah, well, I am also really excited um, about how much community has grown over the past decade. So I've spent my entire career really working in community before it was even called community, right? So uh, my first role where I, I was essentially a community manager was called special projects manager because the field of community didn't even exist then. And that was back in 2011 when I worked for good. Um, and since then, I think, you know, there's just been a proliferation of more and more people getting involved in community, building in community, really making community the heart of what they do. Um, and the reason that I think that is, is because we are all craving a greater sense of belonging. And that feeling of belonging, want to be part of something that's bigger than yourself, is really what kind of unites us all as humans at the end of the day. Yeah. And it seems like it's also a time of a lack of belonging, right? A, a disconnection, a lot of let's just talk about from on the workforce side of things, you know, more and more, it's harder and harder to build belonging, I think, remote. Um, although there's benefits of working remotely, but yeah, how, how do you kind of think about that in terms of belonging and remote work? You're totally right when you say that, you know, we now need belonging more than ever. Um, but I would caveat that by saying it's not a result or an outcome of, you know, the pandemic or remote work. Um, the need for connection, the need to be part of community has actually been, you know, a um, uh, something that's been prevalent over the past decade. So um, I don't know if you know U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. He was Surgeon General under Barack Obama and is now Surgeon General again under Biden. But he actually came out back in the early 2000s and said that loneliness is the biggest public health epidemic of our lifetime. 
right? So that was pre-pandemic, pre this era of remote work. And the pandemic and remote work has only made that even more acute, where it's something we now all feel and we all know how desolate that feeling can be. But it's been something that we've needed to address for a very long time. Yeah. And we'll talk about, you know, your company and how that's kind of, you know, building belonging and stuff um, and more. Correct me if I'm wrong, but on as a personal angel investor, you've also been kind of investing into these belonging um, focused companies. And I, I'm probably going to get the tweet wrong, but I loved your one tweet where you're like, I'm trying to invest into companies that are focused on life transitions and building a Mm -hmm. portfolio around that. Would love to hear uh, kind of how you think about kind of putting um, obviously your time with, with your company, but also then money into like making the world a better place. Yeah, uh, making the world a better place. And I think more specifically, making the world a lo- less lonely place. That is both the mission of the grant, um, as well as sort of my personal mission. And the way that I think about that when it comes to investing is one, um, I really want to invest in companies where uh, they are building in collaboration with their community, right? So what I mean by that is not just treating their community as a marketing audience to receive, you know, whatever the company's message is, but really co-creating with them and having that bi-directional relationship. Um, When I think about kind of what human needs are, um, you know, there's Maslow's hierarchy and there's some issues with that um, and a lot of debate that we can talk about in another podcast. But what I think really makes human life meaningful are kind of the top three categories, love, esteem, and belonging. And that's what I really like to focus my investments on. Um, And I think there's a big need for that. When I think about, you know, our life cycles as as a human, um, you know, we spend about 50% of our adult life in transition, whether that is, you know, moving to a new city or, um, you know, starting a new job or entering a new relationship relationship or breaking up from a relationship or becoming a parent for the first time or becoming a caregiver or losing someone and grieving, right? These are all huge fundamental shifts um, that are really hard to navigate on your own. These are the times when we really need a group of people who are there to support us, who are there to guide us. We need resources, we need tools. And I believe that if we really start to think about you know, the human experience rather than just the market, um, we can design much better products and experiences and also be able to grow, you know, very large businesses as a result of that. Yeah. 50%. So, I mean, my, my initial reaction with that was like, like, that's kind of reassuring to know, you know, problems or situations that you're going through. Like, it's also like, you know, change is happening all the time. And sometimes it like feels so like, big in the moment. And it's like, oh, this new job or, you know, new friends or like, but it almost sounds like it's happening all the time and to almost uh, to not get so caught up in it. Is that, is that a little bit how you think about it, Ray, too? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think major changes um, happen, I would say like once, once every year, every year and a half, right? So if you think about 
Um, let's talk take career changes, for example. You know, the, the average millennial spends about like 18 months to two years in a job, right? So there's a career change in that time frame. And I would also argue that within that time frame, they're probably also moving because we're now more mobile than ever before. Um, you know, their housing situation might change, that change their friend group and their social relationships, as well as their community relationships. Um, uh, romantic relationships change during that time too. You know, if you're a parent, your kids are going through lots of changes and it affects you. So it's not that always change is negative. You know, sometimes a change could be that you just got promoted and now you're a manager for the first time, right? And that could be a really positive change, but you still need support to help you navigate sort of this new set of roles and responsibilities. Okay. Um, has there been anything, uh, on the topic of change, is there anything else that kind of maybe more people should know uh, or like that it's that it's like, yeah, like through, you know, investing into companies that are focused on transitions and the work that you do, uh, is there kind of like, you know, kind of like if you're a career coach to some extent, you'd say like, hey, it's all, it's okay. It's all going to work out. Like you're going to get a new job. Is there anything else because of your experience of like investing into companies that are focused on transitions and change and also building a company that's focused on change um any anything yeah so i would have different um you know sort of point of view there if this is for founders versus if this is for coaches um for founders i would say the reason why i think um it's a good idea for founders to build for people who are going through these transitional moments is you are building for a real need right? So um, when you're going through a big milestone uh, or a big change, it's um, oftentimes like that is a huge pain point. So you're solving a, a really acute need, and then you have a very clear go-to-market strategy, right? Um, versus saying, you know, oh, we're building for all people who have a job. If you say, you know, we're specifically building our product for people who have started a new job within six months, that makes your value product much more clear. That makes the way that you design the product much more clear. It makes it easier for you to find, you know, your first thousand users. So I always believe in identifying that specific core need. And oftentimes I think that relates to one of these changes. Got it. Got it. Okay. And speaking of a change, uh, I kind of believe that people are kind of one email away from, you know, a new job, a new relationship, a new, you know, new chapter, so to speak. Are you able to talk about uh, an email, a cold email, maybe like seven years ago? (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you tell us that story? What a good tee up. And I'm impressed that you really did your homework. <laughs> so I guess um, to introduce that a little bit about me before I started the grand is I was living in New York City, um, you know, in Brooklyn, not too far away from where you are now. And I had thought, you know, at that time that I was going to be living in New York for the rest of my life. Um, I was working at a startup um, that was, you know, very um, kind of active in the New York City startup ecosystem and growing really quickly at the time called General Assembly. Uh, I was a product manager there building out, you know, their first mobile product, a lot of their online um, products and really like loving it, you know, so I was thriving um, and overall pretty happy. So I wasn't necessarily looking for a change. 
but I was, you know, still uh, very passionate about community. So um, like any good, um, any good person who wants to always learn more uh, about a certain topic, you know, is following different folks on Twitter um, that I thought posted interesting things. And one of our, um, uh, one of my colleagues had sent out an article from the first round review uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, and I started following the first round review, but I thought they were just a magazine, <laughs> like Harvard <laughs> Business Review, that put out really great content. And I saw a tweet one night that they were hiring for um, a director of dormant fund. And at first I was so confused. I was like, why does this magazine have a fund? <laughs> like, what's the deal here? And I read a little bit more about it and was so intrigued by Dormum Fund's mission. Um, so for those of you who are new here, um, Dormum Fund is a community and a fund really built for students to be able to start amazing companies while still in school. And all of the investment decisions are actually made by students themselves, right? And this bigger venture fund, First Round Capital, was sponsoring the entire fund and both, you know, teaching students how to be investors while supporting founders. So I was like, this is such a cool model. It's really for the community, by the community. I'm so curious to learn more. Um, so, you know, but I was like, the role was in San Francisco and this was before remote work. So I was like, I don't know if this is really for me and kind of put it away for a while, um, but then kept on thinking about it throughout the day. So ended up sending a cold email at like 1 a.m. in the morning uh, to one of the partners at first round um, expressing my interest in the role. And then after that, you know, ended up moving out to San Francisco to go work at first round and dorm room fund and really making, I think, one of the greatest changes of my career. Mm, and it started from one email at 1 a.m. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> That's crazy. And it's also really interesting. I, I, I can imagine you kind of got exposed to the dorm room fund model of, as you mentioned, kind of students also being investors that are also like, there's just seems like there's a lot of change and transition and kind of mm -hmm. uh, stuff there too. Is that, do you think you kind of honed the, that muscle there, so to speak, and maybe like kind of connect the dots later on of like, oh, I remember all those conversations or anything kind of come to mind there, Ray? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so when I joined Dorm Room Fund and during the time that I was there, we were working with about 200 startups, right? So 400 founders. And I would travel, you know, all across the country to campuses everywhere, sort of meeting with these founders and we would go for coffee. And, you know, at first the founders would talk about sort of like their um, product challenges or user testing challenges. Um, and we would start off with sort of very, um, very business startup focused talk. But then when I would ask them, you know, what's really keeping you up at night? You know, tell me more about what's, what's really going on. The questions would always be much bigger, right? So they would be like, oh man, you know, I'm really trying to decide if I should stay in school or if I should drop out and pursue my company full time. I think I really want to drop out and do the startup thing, but I don't know what my parents are going to say if I drop out, you know, or all my friends are going to think. And after hearing that over and over again, what I realized was that founders really wanted a safe space to be able to kind of navigate these big challenges, right? We're all grappling with questions related to our sense of self, our sense of identity, you know, what we really want to do, what success means to us, what we find fulfilling, 
um, what we find impactful. And especially students, you know, when they're young, all of these questions are kind of life-defining questions, right? So I started hosting uh, small group conversations. We call them salons for these founders to kind of really come together and be able to have a place to talk about these big life questions. Um, and a lot of that work is really what inspired the grand as well. Okay. And then how did uh, you and your co-founder kind of have maybe your big conversation or, uh, you know, what kind of big questions were you all asking yourselves and how did you kind of know like, okay, we can turn this into a, you know, a venture backed business, so to speak, um, especially as it's, you know, uh, group coaching and more, but I, I think that that's really interesting. Uh, I'd be curious to hear that kind of shift of like, wow, we could really kind of scale something here. Yeah. Well, first of all, I would say it wasn't just one conversation. <laughs> it was, you know, a series of conversations that probably happened over two years, maybe even longer. So I met my co-founder, Anita Hossein, um, at First Round. She was head of knowledge at First Round. So she pioneered um, a lot of the knowledge sharing um, events um, and, you know, conferences and unconferences and salons that First Round would host for its community of founders and leaders. Um, and I love the work that she was doing. Um, you know, I was really inspired by a lot of it and brought that to Dorm Room Fund as well. So, you know, we collaborated a lot and became friends and really saw the power of these small group conversations um, on people, both professionally, but also personally as well. And we were really inspired by that and motivated by that. And, you know, started just kind of talking and going on walks. And, um, you know, one of the first thoughts we had were, it's amazing that First Round offers this type of support to their founders and execs, but what about everyone else in the world, right? Not everyone has access to a top tier venture fund who's gonna sponsor small group conversations for them. As individuals, we are all navigating lots of big decisions and transitional moments, um, and we could all benefit from having a group and having a coach. Uh, Anita was, um, you know, doing her coach training at that time. She was also coaching with a really awesome group called Reboot. I was, you know, interviewing coaches, um, trying to find one for myself. And we realized that executive coaching um, is pretty expensive to say it bluntly, right? It can be anywhere from hundreds of dollars an hour to thousands of dollars an hour sometimes. And for a lot of people, um, that's price prohibitive, something that you just can't afford because they can't have access to it. And then it's also really hard to kind of find the right coach for you, right? So a lot of that is about um, how you really connect with someone. You have to spend a lot of time meeting with coaches. So we started thinking about, you know, how could we sort of improve coaching as a category? What would it look like to create a new type of platform, a new type of coaching community that was one more accessible to people from all around the world, regardless of where they lived, you know, what industry they worked in, what career or life stage they went in. And then two, you know, made it easier to curate the right group and the right coach for each individual that wanted to join. Yeah. Side note, uh, head of knowledge probably could be one of the coolest titles there is. Um, yeah, it definitely <laughs> is. <laughs> you know, if, if special projects was, uh, if your work as a special projects, you know, manager, leader, et cetera, back in the day as community. And I don't know what head of knowledge would look like in a couple of years, but I think that that's, it'd be cool to see more and more companies hire that role. Yeah. 
So, all right. So sounds like you believe that more people should have access to coaching and, and maybe even kind of a, a coaching for all is a little bit uh, is a, you know, maybe a spiky point of view um, or a sharp, hot take by, by you all. Is that kind of fair to say? Um, I want to make coaching more accessible to everyone who wants it. Right. I don't believe that you need coaching at all the time. Um, and I think it goes back to that stat that I shared earlier, which is you spend about 50% of your adult life in transition. And I think when you are going through transition, a coach and a group can be very helpful in helping you navigate that transition or that set of decisions. But other times your life might just be great and you don't need a coach and that's totally okay, right? Um, I think the way that we design the grand is ongoing, which means, you know, come to us when you do need a coach and when you do need a group and when you're navigating this transition. But if you're firing on all cylinders and you're thriving on all of the elements of well-being and you don't need a coach, that's totally cool too. We're not going to be offended. You know, we want to build something that follows kind of the human journey, not something that never lets you free. <laughs> if that were the case, then we would be a cult and not a community. Uh, you, earlier you mentioned about this like advice for, for coaches and stuff, but um, curious as to like how many coaches are, are kind of on your platform and maybe advice you may have for somebody that wants to be, you know, coaching as their profession or a side hustle and any thoughts on that, right? Yes. I would say if you're interested in exploring coaching, um, either part-time or full-time, a lot of people do it part-time first. And I think that's a great way to get introduced to coaching. Um, and a lot of our coaches have full-time roles, but then coach part-time with the grant. So we would, you know, love to work with you. Um, we have an open application uh, up on our website. If you want to get involved, you can fill that out. And then someone on our team will reach out to you. Um, we interview all of our coaches. Uh, and then we also help train them on the grant's philosophy and principles as well. Um, we're fairly unique in that we're all about group coaching. A lot of coaching is um, still traditionally focused on one-on-one -on -one practice, but ours is much more community oriented. So it is that group model, um, which I think, you know, is, is pretty unique in coaching still. Um, so as a coach, when you work with the grand, it's really about sparking conversation and facilitating discussion rather than telling someone what to do or, you know, fixing their problems for them. Okay. And then a scale of how many coaches are uh, as part of the platform uh, right now? Yeah, it ebbs and flows um, depending on the number of groups active, but we have about two dozen coaches. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Just getting started. That's right. Wow. Okay. And in what, um, in so group coaching, is there... And it's about sparking conversation of, of kind of like-minded people, uh, kind of in similar stages. Is that, is that right? Yes. Um, so the way that it works is if you are interested in joining the Grand Council, um, we'll ask to learn a little bit about you. So, you know, in kind of our intake process, um, there's both a form that you fill out as well as a conversation that you have with someone on our team. And just to define coaching for everyone who's new to coaching, um, the difference between coaching and, you know, mentoring or coaching and therapy is coaching is all about looking forward. So it's about helping someone go from where they are now to where they want to be, 
right? And in our intake process, we both spend time understanding where are you now, um, but then also where do you want to go, right? What does the ideal future vision look for um, you in six months, in a year? You know, let's outline your goals. Um, let's outline the progress that you want to make. And then a group provides that accountability structure, right? It's really easy to say, oh, you know, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, but then, you know, <laughs> totally forget about it. Or say, I'm gonna, I want to change jobs this year, but then have other things happen in life because we're all busy people who are juggling multiple priorities. But when you articulate that, not just to your coach, but also to a group of peers, then you're really holding yourself accountable. And if you're checking in every single two weeks, you know, a meeting with this group and sharing your updates and sharing your progress, that's when you actually see yourself moving towards where you want to go. Yeah. Okay. Anything else for that you want to share or that you think more people should know that are going through what's called career transition? And then we mentioned there's a couple of different types of transitions, but uh, if somebody was kind of looking for a new job, uh, we mentioned about the power of kind of a cold email. Is there anything else you'd want to share? Yeah, so I'd say the grand is really great for someone who is trying to figure out what gives them meaning and fulfillment and what their personal definition of success is, right? So we are not a uh, career accelerator or boot camp. You know, if you're saying, hey, I want to become a web developer in 12 weeks, there are lots of other places that do that that are not the grand, right? We're not here to kind of give you a crash course on the skills that you need in order to get, you know, X role. Um, what we are here to do is to help you figure out what that next step is and what your personal values are and, you know, what that definition is for you. So I think that's what you're seeing um, a lot now with this great resignation, right? 40% of people are, are leaving their jobs because they're not happy and they're trying to figure out, you know, what does give me that sense of fulfillment, that joy, right? And that sustainable sense where it's not just a, you know, dopamine hit because you got some type of reward or you got some type of, you know, incentive, but this is really meaningful to me at a core level. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like, uh, so I've been podcasting now three and a half years and stuff. And it's like, there's always highs and lows of different things that happen. But for me, it's like, when I keep doing this, I'm like, just keep making progress. And I get a lot of, uh, you know, meaning and satisfaction to know that I'm kind of growing through this. So, um, obviously thanks for, for, for being part of that. Anything else you want to share, uh, Ray, about this topic of a portfolio career and how, uh, or career transitions, career change, anything else? I would say, um, you know, a lot of people when they're going through change, it's a very high stress, um, you know, kind of high, high anxiety moment because they feel like they need to figure it out right away, right? Where it's like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I know I don't like my job now, but I don't know what I want to do next, but I'm only giving myself two weeks to figure it out <laughs> or a month to figure it out. And I would say like, think about, take a step back and look at the bird's eye view of, of your life, you know? And I really believe that we're at a much different point in time where most of us aren't gonna have traditional linear careers where we're working the same job for 30 years. Um, most of us are gonna have, you know, portfolio careers 
careers or take a much more zigzag or unconventional path or be our own creators or, you know, we have this desire um, to take much more ownership over what our life looks like and work is one aspect of that, right? So when you're going through that, really give yourself the time to kind of think through those big questions properly because you deserve to. You don't need to rush into something new. I think it's much more effective um, to take your time to think about your overall map of your life, where you want to go. And then from there, you know, what is that next step you want to take in your career? Love it. Awesome. Well, when people want to learn more about you and the grand, what are the best places to, to do so, Ray? Yeah, you can always, um, you know, follow me on Twitter at HeyRayWong. Um, shoot me a DM. My DMs are open. If you want to learn more about the grand, we're on Twitter at the grand world, or you can check out our website at thegrand.world. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ray. Thanks so much, David. Hey, friend. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.